What's up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today we're talking about Doreen Valiente and how she affected witchcraft as we know it. So, Doreen Valiente, born 1922, died in 1999. It's interesting because some people see her as the mother to modern-day witchcraft. But others think that it's Sybil Leek, who wrote a book in 1968 called Diary of a Witch, which is super hard to get. You'd have to like go on eBay. Nobody really has it. I would love to be able to discuss that book and maybe we'll come back to it at some point. But for a lot of people, uh, Sybil Leek was the first time that they read, you know, Murray wrote about witchcraft and so did Gardner, but hers was a diary. Hers was, I am living this and this is what I do. And mm-hmm. for a lot of people, this was the first time they got to hear a witch really talking. And then of course there's Voliente. So just wanted to, you know, Brief mention of Sybil Lee. <laughs> Give me like, some background. Yeah, because, you know, I don't know how I feel about the two. I haven't, I don't really, I haven't read a lot on Sybil Lee, so I don't really know. But, yeah. So she was an early initiate of Gerald Gardner's. She wrote many books. And the one we're going to talk about today is Witchcraft for Tomorrow. And there's several reasons that I wanted to do that book. And the main reason was Book of Shadows at the end. I thought you were going to say, because we did witchcraft today for Gardner, and this is witchcraft oh, for tomorrow. I should have said that. No, but because you're not Wiccan, I thought it would be interesting to have an old book that kind of had all this stuff in it, and that you could look at it, and yes. I feel that this is, I wouldn't give it to somebody today and say, here, go run with this, but you could almost give this book to somebody, and you would understand what's going on, and then have a book of shadows at the end. This is gonna shock some people because I think every time we do a full moon podcast I go I had a really tough time with this person because if I grew up and blah 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 I really liked this book yeah I really did I felt like it's written in a really approachable way she's she gives me information in a very like straightforward way just tells you the answers I don't feel like I have to go searching for things she's like hey here you go this is how witchcraft works and I'm like wow thank you Doreen Thank you, the woman, for being reasonable and explaining things and Crowley and Gardner being like, let me obfuscate all of this so that it's hard to understand because I want to sound smart. Yeah, you really could use this book as a, you want to know what it is? You want to know how to start? Here. Yeah, it's no. like an intro book. Yeah, but before we get into, yeah, I want to love her because she's a woman, but I have issues with Doreen Valiente. So... I don't know if everybody knows this, she was a member of England's National Front, and then she was a member of the more extreme right group, the Northern League. She broke from the National Front because of their views on women's liberation and gay rights. She was still part of the National Front. Uh, Now, she said she joined them because she was very patriotic. I don't know, there's a lot of ways to be patriotic. Joining a hate group? Probably not a good one. Isn't that the way I would go if I yeah. want to feel patriotic? I don't know. But again, we're American. We just, you know, set off some fireworks yeah. and feel patriotic. Wave not. a flag. Yeah. And then you go, yay, you know, and you're done. Yeah. So I have issues with her there, but I just wanted to bring it up because <laughs> I feel like I have to because nobody's yeah. perfect. Yeah, you have to know. And because this is the reason why I can't, I can't love her more because there's this other side to her that I just go, I don't get this, yeah. but whatever. So in the 1950s, she read an article about Gardner, and she became curious. She was already interested in Murray's witch cult. She'd already read it. 
She, was, she had also read um, books by Charles Leland and Robert Graves, poetry by Robert Graves on the goddess. Mm-hmm. So she knew something about witchcraft already. She was very interested. Anyway, eventually she met him. They became friends and she was uh, initiated. She also supposedly confronted Gardner about his book of shadows, saying, hey, um, this book of shadows didn't come from an old coven, dude. <laughs> I think that you actually took a lot of stuff from Crowley. Gardner supposedly denied it, but he also let her go in and change his book of shadows. I didn't, I didn't steal anything, but if you'd like to make some edits. Right, exactly. Anyway, together, Gardner and Valiente, they wrote a lot of rituals. She also helped him put together information for his second book, The Meaning of Witchcraft. They argued a lot. Some places say that she felt Gardner was a publicity whore, that he just wanted to have himself out there. That sounds about right. She eventually split from him and formed her own coven in the Gardnerian tradition. One thing that I do want to mention that we didn't mention in the Gardner post was, did you know that, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, scourging? Scourging. Scourging. Yes, where you whip yourself on the back. Yeah. Did you know that scourging was part of Gardner's initiation process? I knew I didn't like him. So supposedly he would tie your feet together, knees, wrists, tightly bound, and you would be scourged 40 times until the skin tingles. It's supposed to invoke the goddess. So they're not breaking the skin, but you are being hit 40 times. Yeah, that's weird. Um, That's a thing that you know, you really need to be able to consent to before. Can you just imagine like being thrown into an, an initiation and then being like, oh yeah, by the way, we're going to hit you repeatedly. While, you, while you're naked. Like, no! Yeah. But that's a thing. Which I'm always surprised when people say, oh, is that what I have to do? Okay, let's do this. Like, yeah, no, you're not hitting me. No. It invokes the goddess? I can understand if it invokes the god. I could see it invoking the goddess, but which goddess? Facts. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yes, I know. Wicca's not all, you know, bunnies and fluffy little cute things, but I don't know that initiation has to, and again, it doesn't supposedly break skin, but there's still something there about this 40 times. That's a lot of times. That's a lot of also, times. Also, how many times did they hit Jesus? I don't know. Because I Was just... Was it 40 times? I, that number sounds familiar to me, and it, it would be weird... I feel like it, it is weird. They, I'm almost confident that they scorched Jesus one time. So why are you scorching your initiates? I just don't see, I'm trying to think olden days and the idea of hitting somebody 40 times. I don't know. Something strikes me as really off. I just, I mean, I think that Gardner was a perv. That's what I think the take here is. You know, I'm actually very proud that you didn't say that the entire time we were recording Gardner's thing. Because I kept thinking she's going to say it at any moment. No, I'm going to say it now because Valiente made a, a comment in the book that I was so, so excited about. Oh, God, it was so great. She writes in the book about how Gardner knew that Crowley was a pervert. Crowley was gross. He used to dress up like a woman and try and seduce his initiates. He was so terrible. But Gardner... He wasn't that bad. And then you read Gardner and you're like, no, he's, he's not bad. He's just subtle about it. He's not telling you to put semen in a cake. 
but he is telling you you gotta be naked and I gotta beat you up a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I won't break the skin. I promise. So it's like her her priorities were a little bit kerfuffed there. Like, oh, Crowley's gross because you gotta eat semen, but I'm cool with you scourging me 40 times. Yeah. But the book was honestly good. Besides all the weird shit that these these people did. I also feel like a lot of the older people, now that you mentioned Crowley um, dressing as a woman, and yet hating homosexuals. There's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of homophobic ranting. Like there's a lot of, even if it's not, we hate people, but... Well, it's very much couched in that god and goddess lingo. Right. Like you can't, a man needs to be masculine and he represents the god and the woman needs to be feminine and represent the goddess and if you have gay couples or if you don't have couples in your coven, that's going to break down the the alignment with the god and goddess. And But I feel like they twisted everything because that's not really what's going on with the gods. If you look at the mythology of a lot of these gods, a lot of them... They will basically... My gods will have sex with anything. <laughs> Any but, any gender, any species. But I'm saying, but there are even some gods that are more gender fluid. Like, yes. You know, so this idea of, they're taking this very literally then when they say the god is masculine, the yeah. goddess is feminine. No, it's god and goddess, but really, which are the gods, which are the goddesses, and what are, what are they really doing yeah. here? So just, again, I feel like we need to question this stuff because even when it comes to Wicca, there's some homophobic and and cisgendered normative rules that just or you have yeah. to really look at it and say what were they saying when, and then what were they actually doing when i was studying wicca as a young person i remember being very um i'm looking for a word for this like forceful about explaining to people traditional wicca is not a nature-based religion traditional wicca is a fertility religion mm. this like gardner Valiente, this is about the interactions between, quote-unquote, the sexes. It's about this story of the god impregnating the goddess and growing it. Like, that's what traditional witchcraft is about. Versus when you get into eclectic Wicca or neo-Wicca, it being much more about the seasons and less about how can we have weird sex orgies and make it religious. <laughs> I don't think it's all about, but I see what you're saying, but I don't think it's all about, and look, we have some covens that are just women. Yes. So. So let's talk about the book now. Let's talk about the book. Um, so she says the god of the witches are the oldest gods of all. And Gardner said it, Murray said it, there have been witches always. I underlined sacred caves, exclamation point. Oh yes, the caves. She talks about the caves. But she also talks about different gods, and she talks about Pan. And I got yeah. very excited because I said, ooh, Helen is Mouse, here Yay. we go. Gemini gets to talk about Pan. How did you feel about that whole example about, you know, what the figure and how he got mistaken for the devil later on in other religions and all uh, that stuff? What did you think? <laughs> the farmer of shepherds. Let me and... turn to my notes. I wrote Pan and Artemis, LOL. Um, I... First of all, like, I, I get it. I I definitely understand the idea of Pan transforming into a devil figure. Like, he, he looks weird. And the figure that we see representing the devil 
is basically pan, but with red body paint. So totally made sense to me. I thought it was really funny that Pan and Artemis are the representation of the god and the goddess because, first of all, Artemis is a lesbian. Like, Artemis is the goddess of virginity in the sense that she never got married. She was not gonna have sex with Pan. That's not a thing that happens. Like, maybe maybe in Roman, you know, Religio Romana, maybe Diana has a daughter, that's fine, but Artemis... That's not a thing. Yeah. She's not doing that. That's not who she is. I did love the idea of, like, being naked at Sabbaths being an Artemis thing, though. Because that is very, like, mythologically on point that she liked to, like, bathe naked with her attendants. So that, for me, I was like, oh, this is the one time that I can be, like, getting naked at Sabbaths makes sense. Yes, I will get naked for that reason and no other. Um, I liked... I... I wrote a note, I crossed a bunch of shit off, and then I wrote soft underline polytheism. Because that's what Murray did. This first chapter is all about how these gods are all kind of the same god, and they all represent similar things, and they become this image of the horned god. Pan, Kernunos, all of them are the horned god. And I am a hard polytheist. I believe that all gods are their own god. And they, they, you know, it's not one representation of one god and one representation of one goddess. So for me, it, was, it, it wasn't even like, I didn't get upset. It wasn't weird. I was just like, oh, I have a deeper understanding of how Wicca works because I now can look at this book and say Wicca is soft polytheism. Or at least traditional Wicca is soft polytheism. Yeah. Your god can be any of the gods because that god is a representation of this masculine energy. Versus me, where I'm like, Artemis is Artemis, and Diana is Diana, and they're two different goddesses. Okay. That was my hot take. Okay, no, I mean, the quote she has is, all the gods are one god, and all the goddesses are one goddess, and there is one initiator. So the idea is, and this is the way I've always understood it, is that there is one entity, the creator, the initiator of everything. And there are aspects of this initiator that we can't even like wrap our heads around. But we do know that there is masculine energy and feminine energy. And this masculine energy and feminine energy does not necessarily need to be man and woman. We, we have within us that energy all the time, both energies. Mm -hmm. And we have gods and goddesses that express that energy. Now, which god and goddesses call us to them um, that we feel a connection to, but they're all the same. They're all different. They all have their own mythologies. But basically, all the gods are one aspect. All of the goddesses are one aspect because there is one creator. So in that sense, yeah, it's, I never thought about it that way, but it is soft. Yeah. Because we're not really saying this goddess and this god created the universe. Because, I mean, even within witch space, I mean... There's one Scorpio and I that share the same god, but we have two different goddesses. Yeah. But we have this understanding that there's only one initiator. Yeah. So it is interesting. Yeah, I went way out of that when I became Hellenic and, and was like, yeah, no, all the gods are different. So for me, this is, it's super interesting. Like, I, I love reading about sort of Wiccan takes on Greek gods because I feel like 
they're very different. Like, the Artemis that I worship and the Artemis that a Wiccan worships are not the same Artemis. Right. Because that, like, if you worship Artemis, your Artemis is an aspect of this greater goddess ideal, whereas my Artemis is just Artemis. Right. And so there's different connotations, there's different relationships that are built with each version of that deity. This is this was the perfect first chapter for this book, honestly. One, because I think it gives you a really great understanding of how the religious aspect of Wicca works. Like, boom, all gods are one god, all goddesses are one goddess. Thank you. Very explicit, nice and clear. I understand now. And she gives you a list of gods and goddesses that are part of this all-father and all-mother that you can experience or that historically were experienced. And if I had read that when I was exploring Wicca, maybe I would have been able to been called to this concept. But it, I had always very much like, I've always been a hard polytheist. So for me, when I was reading, you know, insert Llewellyn book here, not to have that explicitly stated to me, I would be like, okay, but I can't, I personally can't worship like Amen-Ra and Hera or Kernunos and Kali. Like, I can't put them together. They don't belong together. Yeah, they don't belong together, though. Like, I don't think anyone's going to tell you that that's yeah, a good mix. Yeah, there are some Llewellyn, oh, well, I just picked gods and goddesses, but there are there were some Llewellyn books that were like, yeah, you can pick any god and any goddess. They can be from different pantheons as long as you're called to them. And I was like, no. Yeah, I don't... Hard pass. I think that... Yeah, wow. That would be... To me, that just seems so super strange. I would love to know if anybody actually does that, if their god and goddess are from different pantheons. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. But I do think that we can call on gods and goddesses from other pantheons. I know I do, Mm -hmm. but my god and goddess are my god and goddess. And then there are other people that I'm like, hey, (laughs) we connect. Yo. Yo. Finger guns. You know, kind of thing. And... There are gods and goddesses that I'm fascinated by, but they're not my god and goddess. And I think, I don't know. I don't know how people do that. Send us an email. Yeah, let us know how that works. Because maybe it does. What do we know? I also liked her take on um, shamanism because Mm. it's time for Gemini to talk about how the 2000s were weird again. (laughs) There was this big thing. uh, I was in, uh, how it was 2015, 2014, 2015 area. So it was recently about like whether or not you can be a shaman and like whether or not the word shamanism is cultural appropriation. Hmm. And so, first of all, Doreen Valiente cites her sources and nothing makes me happier than that. I literally jumped out of my chair. So Doreen Valiente has little citations and you can look up where she got this information. So when she tells us shamanism started in Eastern Siberia we can go look and see where she got that. And this is the first time I'm really seeing that, which is another reason I loved this book. But looking at it in that way, okay, well, you know, shamanism is a word that was used by a tribal culture in Eastern Siberia. I was told shamanism was a word from a tribal culture in South America, and so I couldn't use it. So now I'm like, oh, okay, late 2010s, you lied to me. Cool. If somebody had read Doreen Valiente, maybe we wouldn't have had this argument. She also talked about flying ointments, and I think that was the relationship with the oils that Gardner was talking Mm -hmm. about. We mentioned that in our last episode. Yeah. 
that he was like, oh yeah, you rub some oils on your body and then you're not cold in the cold weather dancing outside. But flying ointments, I guess, were this sort of like hallucinogen that you rubbed on your body and like tripped out. Yeah. Which sounds super cool to read about. It was very interesting read. Am I going to do a flying ointment? Nope, not not trying to trip. Not doing it. Um, I think it's interesting she also talks about the Wiccan Reed. Yes. Which originally was just a rhyming couplet. Eight words the Wiccan Reed fulfill, and it harm none, do what you will. What's that- interesting, she does comment that it is similar to Crowley's, but that it's also not. And she she really went in on Crowley in this section. She did. She's talking about how, um, you know, Crowley was demanding and, like, super self-centered, and so when he was trying to tell people, do your will, and your will is your sacred purpose, what he actually meant was, do my will. Right. And how, (laughs) and I quote, Crowley was a male chauvinist pig, and I wrote in parentheses, but not Gardner. Hmm. Uh, But she, she says... That the men have vagina envy. And I loved that. I was so... I loved... This is why I like this book. And this is why I think people should read this book. Is that Doreen... vagina envy? Well, because Doreen Valiente is just upfront about where all this shit comes from. She quotes Swinburne. She talks about Jungian psychology. Like, she just tells... Hey, this is where this is from. It's not... You know, Margaret Murray's witch cult, where it's the first research that you're getting. It's not Crowley writing this dense, unreadable text. It's not Gardner saying, I am the rules. She just goes, this is where this came from. Here's my source. There you go. Yeah. And, like, that's... I don't even see that... I didn't see that happening when I was reading witchcraft books earlier. This I have never seen sources at the end of a chapter before. In any witchcraft book I've ever read. And so... She's thorough. That, for me, was just... Like, just opened my heart. I was just so excited. It's like, oh my god, look at these sources. And she talks about Murray about, like, the Sabbaths. And she says greater and lesser Sabbaths. Mm -hmm. So, that was kind of my intro to Astara, without even realizing it, is, is knowing that... Okay, you got the four greater Sabbaths, and then you have the equinoxes and the solstices, and this is different than Murray, who just said you have the four Sabbaths. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I'm laughing at my notes. So I don't normally take notes when I read um, the books. I just, this is, it's not the life that I live. But I took a lot of notes on Valiente because I was so excited. She's talking in the first chapter still, I think. Might be witch ethics, I'm not sure. About dancing naked at the Sabbaths. And I wrote, betting money, no one called them buff balls. Because she said that they were called buff balls, like buff in the buff and ball <laughs> like a dance. And I was like, nope, nobody, nobody's ever said that. Why she is was that typing. Your, why are you honing in on that? Because it's things? so dumb. It sounded so dumb. I. It's so refreshing to read the way Valiente writes because I feel like Gardner would have lost his shit if he saw the words buff balls referred to as Sabbath. <laughs> right? Like that, it's just so 
not formal and not ceremonial and it doesn't hold any of this power. And she's like, yeah, buff balls. Balls in the buff. That's what it is. I liked her take on the pentagram. Oh, okay. Which one? <laughs> not a Wiccan. Which one is in a circle and which one isn't? Pentacle. Pentacle is in a circle. Mm -hmm. Okay, so her take on the pentagram was super interesting because I've always seen the pentagram as representing the elements. Fire, water, earth, air, spirit. Her representation of the pentagram, you start at the top point and that's the diary. Right. You come down and that's like the lowest matter. Right. You come back up, human being. You move to the side, earthly progress, and then back down is the fall. Humanity must fall. And I was like, this is dope. Because to fall, you are then reunited with the deity. I'm going to post this on Instagram when this video comes out, when this podcast comes out. And I had a problem with that. And I think it's because that's not how I see a pentagram. And also this whole idea of the fall. And I get it. The fall to then have the rebirth. But the fall sounds Christian to me. I read it as the hero's journey. Okay. And I was like, this is, well, for me, Hellenic, that makes so much sense. I looked at it and I was like, oh yeah, my God. As a Hellenic, that's awesome. For me, it's like, what? Yeah. it was, And it's the first time I've ever seen somebody talk about the pentagram, not in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, she ha- There's a lot of stuff in this book that is great for somebody who worships the Greek gods. Yes, I agree. She talks about the Ouroboros, the, the serpent that swallows its own tail. Um... She talks about Atlantis, mm-hmm. which I have never understood as to, like, how Atlantis is a witch thing. People talk about it all the time, but I, it's always just, like, these vague references to, like, Atlantean energy or, like, Atlantis. And it, is there a book that I'm supposed to read about why Atlantis is relevant? If there is, I don't know it. <laughs> Dear listeners, please yeah, tell me. Let us know. I liked that she connected the pentagram and the pentacle to Pythagoras. And, like, those of you know him for the Pythagorean theorem, but a very uh, brilliant mathematician in ancient Greece. She explained why 13 is a magic number, which I loved. But I still have problems with it, because it goes right back to the coven. It goes right back to this idea of a man and a woman, and that's a couple, and nothing else is a couple. But I'm I f- still going to harp on that. That's that's still... I agree with you completely, and but you- I also like that she just said it in a plain sentence. Yeah. Like, that's why I'm I'm enjoying this book so much, is just because everything is so straightforward. Yeah. I don't have to dive in and parse anything. And, you know, for people who have never seen the book, I mean, she's got sections on the tools. She explains why we use an athame and a cauldron, um, the different types of knives, divination... Attire, and of course she goes back to nudity. <laughs> um, the witch's alphabet. Witchcraft and sex magic. And of course at the end she's got a book of shadows where she talks everything from casting a circle, self-initiation, which I thought was really interesting because as somebody, for her, not me, but Valiente being a member of several covens, this idea that she sees self-initiation as something that is okay and that she has in a book of shadows. I thought that was kind of awesome for an older text. For sure. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. Do you want to talk about how I've never really casted a circle before? What do you mean you've never cast Well, you don't have to do that in your tradition, so, correct? The only time in my life that I have ever technically cast a circle 
Uh, you're going to judge the crap out of me for this, so just emotionally prepare yourself. I had an AP exam coming up, and so my friends and I decided to do a ritual where we cast a circle in my bedroom and <laughs> studied in the circle, and I wrote, like, a whole, like, prayer to Athena, and that we thought that that was going to help. Um, I will say my one friend did get a five on that exam. Did I get a five? No. Five is the highest score for those of you who don't take AP exams. Yep, that's the only time I've ever done it, and I don't think I did it right. Um, what I would love is the take from you. Do you have to have a, a table or a chest as an altar, and, and is your circle the same circle that Valiente casts? Okay, I think that doing it right is... Did you feel good doing it? I didn't feel anything. Okay. <laughs> no, because I was going to say, if you enter anything with love and respect, I think you did it right. You know, I, I, I really am hesitant to tell people how you cast a circle or how you worship your gods, that there's a right way or a wrong way. I think that if you go with good intent and you practice, again, it's a practice. Here we yes. go. And we're going to go back to the whole, um, what witchcraft is from other episodes. But you practice at this. You know, the first time that I wrote my daily devotion that I say to my gods, my prayer that I say... It was okay. I tried it out for a couple of weeks and I went to something missing. And I went back to the drawing board and I rewrote it. And I'm pretty happy with it now. It evolves. I have to admit, I'll change a line here, a line there. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm becoming more connected to them. Does that mean that the way I used to do my daily devotion in the past was wrong and bad? No. It was how I was approaching them then. This is how I'm approaching them now. So I don't think that casting a circle the way you did it was bad. As far as how I cast a circle, do you need to have... Look, it just makes it a lot easier if there's a little table in the middle you can put your stuff on. Okay. So when you pick up other things... I mean, it's like it's a whole thing. Is your so, circle nine feet across? Or nine feet wide? Oh. <laughs> okay. In the summer when I'm outside, yes. In the winter, in my home... When you're not outside. No. You know, it's like, it's, I'm not going to, I don't have the luxury of saying, and in this home, this room is the ceremonial room. You know, I don't have that. I've gotten to it in a room. So however big that room is, well, then the circle's going to be a little bit smaller. Like, just got to deal with it. Just got to move around. So I'm a science teacher. And one of my favorite things to say to my students is the only difference between science and just dicking around is writing things down. And I think reading Valiente's Book of Shadows, it really reminds me of a science. If she's practiced this, and these are the steps that she takes, but it's also repeatable, and I can do the experiment. And if the experiment doesn't work for me, I can change it to suit my own needs. And if you don't write it down, I'm shaking my phone at the microphone. If you don't write it down, you can never repeat it. And this is the first time that you get to give this to a non-initiated person and say, this is the science, try the science for yourself. Or in this case, this is the magic, try the magic for yourself. And that goes for anything. I have, whether you call them book of shadows or whatever you call them, 
for everything I do. When you first start learning a new divination system, write down the responses you get. I mean, I think that that's just something that we do now. It's second nature, you know. I learn about a new herb. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to, you know, try something with it. You write it down. Yeah, there is a lot to science that way. Actually, this is going to be, this is hot takes with Gemini at all times. I'm not a Wiccan, so technically I don't have a book of shadows. But the message that I want to send out to everyone, to all of our listeners, and to the people who might have this mentioned to them by a friend who listened to our podcast, is that a book of shadows doesn't have to look like Charmed. It doesn't have to look like the people who post them on Instagram and they are beautifully illuminated and colorful pictures and and detailed explanations. You can have Valiente's, you know, experimental uh, recipe for a circle. You can write notes in the margins about why something worked or something didn't. Your book of shadows doesn't have to be beautiful. You can have two. You can have a book of shadows that is the scientific journal, and you can have one that is, you know, the the beautiful work after you've done all the testing. But I feel like there's there's some hesitancy sometimes to create a book of shadows because the expectation is it is finished. You create it, and then it's done, and then you turn the pages, and you never have to worry about it again. But you, like you said, you can change things. You can move a line. You can you know, modify a spell, you can create a living document. Is it nice when it's pretty? Absolutely. But you can try new things and it doesn't, it's not bad for you. So my take on the Book of Shadows is it does have to be kind of pretty. Um, I don't put anything in my Book of Shadows that's not something I've tried a bunch of times. I have notebooks. Okay. So that's where I will try something for the first time, write down what I did, how I did it, did it work, how did I feel about it. Once I've tweaked it and I feel like, oh, this is really good, it goes in my book of shadows. Now, even after it's in my book of shadows, I want to change it. Well, you know, I date it. I I put another date. This is what I've done. But I technically, I don't write everything in my book of shadows. My book of shadows should be as close to perfect. I mean, we're not perfect people, so... No Book of Shadows is going to be perfect, but I like to think that if something happened to me and you got hold of my Book of Shadows, you don't have a bunch of my failed experiments. But you could turn the page and you could have like... Do you know how big that Book of Shadows would have to be if every failed experiment was in there? You know how many pages that would be? But if you're going to have a Book of Shadows for the rest of your life, maybe the first page is the book blessing that you used when you were 20 and then you know, 15 pages in, you're like, oh, this is a better one. This is what I want to do 10 years down the line. Yeah. Is there then, and you're Wiccan, I'm not, is there an option that, like, are the, is there another book that goes with this? Is, do you have, is the Book of Shadows like a pair? You have the Book of Shadows, which is the beautiful finished work, and then you have a scientific journal that goes with it where you are trying the things. That's what I do. Okay. I'm not going to say that's what everybody does, but yeah, I've got, I've got notebooks and notebooks of stuff where I've just tried things or yeah. What goes in my book of shadows, I like it to be visually Mm -hmm. appealing. So any artwork, anything, whatever is in there. I like it to look nice. I like it to be organized, you know, I'm trying to think about 
my dedications and stuff in the beginning. I kind of, it doesn't bother me if I don't like it, if I don't think it's perfect. I think that that's just part of the journey. So I think that some things aren't going to look amazing or read that well in the beginning. And that's okay. I think How that's fine. How long does a book of shadows last? Is it like right. one book your whole life? Yeah. Okay. Why would you need another book? What if you fill the book? Girl, you got to get yourself another book. And then you got book of shadows part two. Okay. Yeah, you could totally fill a book and then start all over again. Okay. You know, or... It's like Book of Shadows, the encyclopedia. Well, I'm not going to lie. I had a Book of Shadows. I organized it one way and I went, I don't like this. So guess who had to sit down? (laughs) I started a whole other... And I don't mind. It's just like you do it like, you Mm -hmm. know, it's meditation. You light a candle, whatever. It's like, okay, I'm going to start a new Book of Shadows because I don't like the way this is coming out or I organize this weird or... And that's allowed. Anything's allowed. I mean, it's your book. No one has to see your book. Okay. I don't show my book to people. I don't. People don't come over to my house and I go, "Hey, <laughs> here's my book of shadows." It's not like a photo it's album. It's not like on a pedestal in your attic and the pages flip on their own. Oh, I hate that show. I mean, it's a fun show. Yeah. Have you seen the new one? I haven't seen the new one yet. Okay, I have feelings about the new one. Are we really going to talk about the the new show? This we don't. Is like so weird. I we don't have to, but I'm just asking. So I like the idea that. It wasn't going to be, you know, we all know why they created the second Charmed. But here's the thing. And I only watched like two or three episodes. Mm-hmm. So it could have totally changed. So we're talking about Latina witches. Oh, they don't do anything. <laughs> like, I mean, they're, they're not Latina, Latina enough. And that's a terrible thing to say because people accuse me of not being Latina enough. But I don't know, some basic whip out some cascaria powder mm-hmm. you know what i mean like let's see something of your culture in yeah. here because otherwise all you did was take the charms and you just hired different actors and some of them are are gay yeah all right and i'm watching this show what yeah you know what i mean it's not it's sort of different. like i transplanted this show into the modern era Without That's any research it. on, like, what the... You know, but it could have changed. I didn't continue watching it because, yeah. quite frankly, I was like, no. See, I only like the Prue years. So that's why I'm like, I hate oh, that show. Oh, got it. Because once they got rid of Prue, I was like, I'm, You're not, like, no. I'm not watching Rose McGowan. Like, no. Yeah. Don't like it. Okay. So, so there goes that. Hot takes with witch face. That's it. So, the the only thing that I wanted to, to say, to go back to Valiente for a second, is she says something... And now I can't find. I do love the sound of flipping pages, though. So here's the quote that she says. Today, we have an urgent need to find a new way of living, a new outlook on life, because man has at last become capable, literally, of destroying not only himself, but all life on this planet. This is the section that she's talking about positive morality. Right. Which was dope. We cannot put the clock back to the days of the old paganism, but we can build a new paganism. Um, So I kind of feel like this is just as valid today. We need this. We need a new new way of living. Man really does seem hell-bent on destroying the planet and everything on it. So going back, when we look at these older books, and we say, well, how much is real? How much is, is not real? Who cares? We have this opportunity, the here and now, to go back and then say, I'm discarding this, mm-hmm. I'm putting this in its place, and creating a new paganism. And I loved the way she talks about positive morality as like, what should we do? 
right. instead of being told what not to do. Right. And that's the whole reason that so many of us got into pagan religions in the first place, is we didn't want to be told what to do. So why shouldn't we be treating our religion, this new opportunity, as a positive outlet to say we should love each other, we should take care of the planet. Not thou shalt not kill, thou shalt love your brother. Right. And I just... She she might have been not a great person, but it's a good book. It's a really good book. And... It's weirdly relevant. I think people should read it. I know I said in the beginning, maybe not. Maybe you don't need to. But, you know, the more we talk about it and... Yeah, I think that people should read this book. It's, it shocked me how close it was to my modern understanding of Wicca while still having some things that are very, like, different or old-fashioned or, you know, out of our norm. And she wrote it in 1978. This is not... It's not as old as Gardner, but it's not that much, you know... It's, it's not new. No. And I think that you're right. It's very, very relevant for people who maybe aren't really sure about Wicca. This will tell you everything. This really will tell you a lot in a great way. <laughs> yeah, it'll explain it to you in a way that you understand and don't feel stupid for having read. But now I just want to say gotcha. Shit. To you. Balls. I think you know what you said. What did I say? When we were, when I said that quote from Boliente. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> When I said we have an urgent need to find a new way of living, and we talked about that, and you said pagan religions, as in witches are pagans, as in witches, were it's a religion, and it's not secular, because what we practice, which is our religion, is separate from the stuff we do. And sometimes it's connected, and maybe you could do it without worshiping the gods, but you said pagan. You are so close to having got me, but remember... No, no, I I did get you. (laughs) No, because I got you. I want to end on this. Thank you for listening. (laughs) You're not ending on this. We're ending on this. I think I got her. I think she's understanding what witches are. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Witch and pagan are are two separate words for me. Remember we talked about this? We We said pagan is the religion and witch is the different. you said our religion. She said our religion. I have a religion. she said it. I want to thank everybody for listening. <laughs> and remember, if you... <laughs> Wait, stop. So with this, I'm going to end off because I think I got her. I think I think I might have gotten her. So I want to thank Sean McShane for the wonderful music. Without him, this podcast would not sound as awesome as it does. So thank you so much. And remember, if you're following the moon, you're following us. Mm-hmm.